0: Meme warfare in Australia, streaming to raise money to spite Mark Latham and shitty sports meme Facebook pages. This is the Australian Meme Review. Hi, Cam Wilson here, filling in for Peter Fitzsimons, who couldn't be here today, for episode number one of the Australian Meme Review, a podcast all about the news and culture of the Aussie internet. So here's how the first episode will go. First up, you'll hear about what's making news on the Australian internet with a segment called The Headlines. After that, ABC's technology reporter, Ariel Bogle, will join us to speak about the latest front in modern warfare, memes. After that, you'll hear our first ever meme obituary. And finally, a wrap-up of all the other stories that don't fit in anywhere else with our back page. Alright, let's do it. First up, the government can now read your messages if it wants to, even if they're encrypted. You probably remember that late last year, the federal parliament passed anti-encryption legislation after Labor agreed to the bill at last minute. The Department of Home Affairs has come out now and said that law enforcement and security agencies are now using that power to access encrypted messages, like those sent on WhatsApp, Signal and Wicker. As for what they've actually used it for, shrug emoji. You might remember that the bill gives the government powers to do Everything from ask companies nicely to unencrypt information that they want, all the way up to demanding companies secretly build a new function in your apps that allows them to unencrypt that information. In the last session of the 2018 Parliament, the Labour Party supported the legislation after making lots of noise about the problems with the bill. The latest news here is that there will be another inquiry to assess the economic impact of the legislation. And the reason that's important is because tech companies in Australia are freaking out that the threat of the government forcing them to make a backdoor in their apps will make people around the world avoid their product. By law, these companies can't talk about if they've done anything. So the only way that we'll know if something is happening is when we see some reporting on the issue, which we'll no doubt see in the future. An Australian video game streamer has live streamed for more than 24 hours, mostly playing video games to raise money for a charity supporting transgender children. Totes Vidya, or Harrison, is here with us now. Good to have you here. Now, Harrison, can you tell us a bit about the stream? What prompted it?
1: So a big part of it was um, seeing uh, Harris Brewer, who's a uh, UK uh, YouTube personality. He ran a stream to spite, specifically, um, Graham Linehan, who is a uh, once notable comedy writer turned—I believe uh, the ability to term is tough—he uh, is basically somebody who was um, trying to brigade a uh trans positive charity specifically mermaids uk um from removing um charity status so to to not get funding through the uk lottery um and in response to that uh harris basically created uh, a stream to one support mermaids and to finish a life-affirming goal to complete (laughs) donkey kong 64 so i was inspired by that to basically try and do
0: (laughs) a much smaller version the name of your stream was Fuck, Mark. What does that mean? Uh,
1: former normal person and uh, One Nation Senator, uh, Mark Latham. He, uh, he recently came out and said that uh, if he was elected in the upcoming New South Wales election as a part of One Nation, that he would ban people to identify as trans and non-binary.
0: Sure, so how'd you go on the stream? How much money did you raise? And where specifically did it go?
1: All of it goes to the PGDC, uh, the Parents of Gender Diverse Children. Uh, we were getting donations through um, Streamlabs, which is the system that uh, sort of Uh, works with Twitch for people to donate um, money. Um, So in this case, it all goes to them as a not-for-profit. They uh, sort of help out uh, not just trans and non-binary kids, but also their parents. So they provide resources to um, educators, clinicians, all sorts of people to not only sort of help people through uh, difficult times, uh, but also provide information for their parents to sort of help um, their children uh, to kind of go through... Uh, sort of that part of their that stage of their life. It's been, um, it's really fascinating seeing the response because not only did we raise uh, a little over $6,000 on the stream, but they got over $2,000 directly to um, the not-for-profit themselves.
0: And so you streamed for about uh, 24 hours. Any highlights?
1: We we had a lot of very amazing and famous people uh, come through. Uh, first of all, it was uh, uh, Harris Brewer himself, Bomber guy, came through the stream. He literally popped in the Discord for about, like, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, Jordan Raskopoulos, Jordan Steele-John, the uh, the senator for the Greens, uh, Sally Rose, Clementine Ford. There was, there was just so many amazing people who just had really, really kind words for me. And I was like, I'm just trying to play Tony Hawk's and realize how bad I was at this game. It was like, it got to a point where I gave up on playing, playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, and I switched to Tony Hawk's Underground 2 just to play as Shrek, Um, So for the entire last hour, I'm just playing Shrek and everyone's doing Shrek puns and Jordan Raskoff was dead, possibly one of the greatest uh, Shrek impressions I've ever heard in my entire life. Donkey, I can't get my PlayStation (laughs) emulator going while I've got the stream running. Okay, Donkey, I'm doing my best.
0: (laughs) Did you hear any word from Mark or any of his supporters?
1: yes we did make a goal and i can't remember it was like 2500 or 3000 but once we reached that that we would call mark latham's office and so we didn't we we weren't quite sure how long the voicemail was so we just left a six minute long voicemail
0: hey harrison thanks so much for your time congratulations on doing such a good
1: thing thank you so much for having me on i i appreciate it i hope you hope you have more memes and you have more streams to talk about
0: that was twitch streamer totes video with us just then The federal government's online record service, My Health Record, has finished its opt-out period, which means if you haven't opted by now, you've got one. There were a whole lot of problems leading up to the deadline. Everything from widespread concerns about privacy, trouble opting out, and even cases of people finding out they already had records created for them without their knowledge. It's supposed to reduce medical mistakes by making it easier for doctors and other healthcare providers to share your medical information. However, people are worried about what the service does, even if it works as advertised. My Health Record is essentially a big repository having all this incredibly sensitive information available online. And in case of a breach or changes in the future, this would all be able to be accessed by potentially unauthorized people. From marginalized groups like trans people or people suffering from stigmatized conditions like those who've contracted HIV, they're worried they won't be able to control who knows about this information. So think about if someone hacked you, but instead of your emails, it's your personal test results on delicate medical issues. I personally opted out, but that's because I know that I don't have any complicated health issues, so I'm happy to see how it all plays out. But I'm sure this won't be the last we hear on this. Well another day and another video of an Australian footballer doing something embarrassing is all over social media. That's the sound of Jack Watts who plays in the AFL for the Port Adelaide club snorting white powder off the chest of a woman wearing uh, traditional Oktoberfest gear. He's denied that it's cocaine, saying that's a legal substance which is mostly menthol and sugar. This comes only a few days after Dylan Napper, who is an NRL player who's just joined the Bulldogs, has had multiple videos emerge of him having sex or doing other things like that. Napper says they're from more than five years ago and that he sent them to a private WhatsApp group. Now, on one hand, It's easy to say these blokes could have avoided this stuff and that they knew the footage of them doing these things could impact their careers. They are, after all, paid obscene amounts of money and that's because sponsors are making a lot of money off being associated with them. So no wonder they don't want that kind of stuff. But I think there's another component that's a part of these stories that isn't really talked about. It's the role of the big social media pages like AFL memes and NRL memes on Facebook who are happy to spread these videos, which are often not really that newsworthy, in return for getting bulk likes and views. Like in Dylan's case, after the NRL page shared one video, they promised to share another if they got a certain amount of likes. I reckon most of us don't really care if an NRL or AFL player is viewed having sex. That's their choice. But sharing that with a big audience especially when it contains other people who might not consented to having it shared, that's a pretty dog act. doesn't help that most of these meme pages have also featured racist or misogynist content in the past. It hasn't been a good last few weeks for digital media. Online publications, BuzzFeed, Vice and Huffington Post have all recently announced that they're laying off large numbers of their global staff. This has included Australians working for BuzzFeed and Vice, BuzzFeed has just gone through a consultation with 25 staff members saying that they were going to cut around 10 positions. Vice Australian staff members have already been laid off. It's really awful stuff. These outlets are filled with young people who shaped the look and feel of the modern internet. And it's cooked that they're being punted because of management decisions by these companies and the siphoning of a lot of online news publication revenue from the media by Google and Facebook. When this all came out, Most people were sympathetic, and most people, but not the alt-right, who've been harassing journalists by telling them to go learn and code, and this guy. Bushfeed gives entire news team redundancy letters in international effort to cut costs yeah that's a pretty good move that is like the Australian military realising it still has a cavalry division.
2: Irrelevant
0: That's Friendly Geordie an Australian YouTuber and podcaster. In a video that quotes from online media sources the bloke who's best known for putting out videos with stupid voices using these online media sources ripped into Australian workers because their overseas counterparts didn't unionise and for the fact that their company laid them off pretty rubbish stuff now for a feature interview a quote attributed to einstein is i know not with what weapons world war III will be fought but i do know that world war IV will be fought with sticks and stones turns out einstein wasn't actually that smart because we all know that world war III is going to be fought with memes And if that's the case, Australia is not prepared, according to some experts. Errol Bogle is a technology reporter with the ABC, and she joins us now. Hey, Ken. You wrote a really interesting article, and it starts off uh, looking back at the 2016 election. Most people would remember the huge disinformation campaign, and actually Facebook at the centre of that. But you think that there's been another social media platform that
2: has kind of been overlooked? Yeah, that's right. Um, So late 2018, two really interesting reports came out in the United States and both of them were looking at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, a whole range of social platforms and looking at the activity of the Internet Research Agency, of course, is the Russian Internet troll government division, basically, and, and just looking at what they did during the 2016 presidential election over in the U.S. And as you mentioned, They saw Facebook activity, they saw Twitter activity, but what really stood out to them was activity on Instagram, which I think has been largely overlooked. People are really familiar with, you know, the spread of bad information or fake news sites on Facebook, but maybe not so familiar with how misinformation works on a visual platform like Instagram.
0: So they were sharing memes on the service um, all the time and spreading information through that. How do they use that platform specifically?
2: Yes yeah, so of course Instagram is a visual platform and has less words. you can't really say that much on it. You can't write an essay unless you do it in the comment section, I suppose. So it's really reliant on the visual. and so it really seems like Russia was exploiting a lot of different social and interest groups in the United States. So I spoke to one researcher on this report, Renee Deresta. And they found that a lot of accounts were exploiting interests such as Black American rights. There was a Southern Pride group, people interested in LGBTQ issues. And the idea was to post memes and information and pictures really relating to those identities. And it wasn't always explicitly political. Maybe it was just encouraging Black pride, you know, pride in um, your hair or in Obama or anything relating to, I guess, clichés or interests around some of those groups, and then only occasionally post something that was more explicitly anti-Hillary Clinton, for example, or pro-intervention in Syria or things relating to Russian interests.
0: If anyone's seen any of the examples of them, they can often seem quite almost like rudimentary but they, they are very f- effective. How are they different to, for instance, seeing text? Like, how do you think people interpret them when they see them?
2: Well, I think that something like a meme, it's so easily digestible. So I'll just say, um, point to one example, which I kind of, I guess, made me laugh and cry at the same time. Um, <laughs> so one of these Instagram accounts that was run by Russia, it was called Army of Jesus. So naturally, they posted a lot of Christianity-related content, um, quite I guess leaning towards the white American conservative side. And they posted an image of Jesus and it just said, like if you believe and keep scrolling if you don't. And they had a picture of a sort of cliche looking Jesus on one hand and on the other, uh, the same image but with a red circle and a cross through it over keep scrolling if you don't. So it like, seems quite basic, but I guess if you were receptive to that message, you would be like, yeah. I'll click like or I'll comment on it. And that's really what led to what looks like Instagram getting way more engagement than even the other platforms like Facebook or Twitter. So I think in one of the reports, they found that troll posts on Instagram received about 183 uh, million likes on Instagram compared to 37 million on Facebook. So that's way more on Instagram.
0: So when they're sharing these memes on Instagram, what was the intention of...
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I I think people still don't fully understand the range of intentions with what Russia was up to in the US election. In many cases, it just seemed like they were trying to test things, like just see how far they could go. And so as I mentioned, there was a lot of content that that was just aimed at building camaraderie, building a group, building followers, getting as many followers as possible, and then only occasionally posting something explicitly political, whether it be uh, about... You know, voting against Hillary Clinton, something saying like, as a black person, as a member of the African American community, I will vote not for Hillary, I'll vote for no one, I won't even vote, these kinds of messages. But there was also some interesting activity around promoting merchandise. So sometimes they use Instagram to promote like self care goods and promote external sites, and still not clear whether this was done to like just make money for them probably not, and more likely to collect personal information as part of that transaction, you know, names, emails, phone numbers.
0: Do you think the very platform itself affects how people interpret these things? Because I guess when I think about it, when I'm going through Instagram, it tends to be a less political place and it tends to be a place that I don't think I'm probably critically thinking as much. Do you think that plays into it?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think you're right. I mean, my personal use of Instagram is not political either. And it's interesting to follow more political accounts. You say if you follow Australian politicians, they're not usually putting forward really efficacy. They're just saying like, look, it's me. I'm down the local shops. It's really about building like a personal relationship and rapport and image of them as just another guy, just another girl. So it will be really interesting to see how it's used as Australian election, federal election approaches this year whether that ramps up or they try and maintain that kind of personal edge, which is what Instagram really lends itself towards.
0: And on that note, are Australian politicians and I guess Australia's intelligence community starting to understand the potential for this to be used?
2: I think so. You do see more political activity from not just politicians, but parties, unions, various interest groups on Instagram and also Instagram stories. I think that's really interesting place to look at. And the difficulty of understanding Instagram as compared to Twitter and Facebook is that Instagram is in many ways a more of a locked down platform. So if, you, if a politician creates an Instagram story, for example, that disappears. So if you're a journalist trying to follow what they're up to, you have to be there watching it within that 24 hours that it's live. Likewise, it's really hard to just collect streams of data from Instagram in order to analyze them. So I think that we'll have to see whether Instagram introduces any new tool to help track misinformation. So they have said in relation to this news about Instagram being used so much by Russia, new tools to make sure that you understand who owns an Instagram account. They've added some more information called like about this account, which will show you the person that created it and other information. But at the same time, it's it is a really hard platform to study. And a lot of the researchers I spoke with point to that as an area of big concern, we just don't really understand what political activity is happening on Instagram.
0: Yeah, there was an interesting line in your piece uh, quoted from the National Media Research Council saying that this threat is more of a domestic threat than one of foreign interference. Now, I guess that's probably good that we're not worried about other countries interfering in Australia's politics as much, but it's still, it's still an issue even here from domestic actors, right?
2: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, that question about will Russia intervene in our election, you know, uh, talk to different people, get different answers. Some people say, well, look, Australia's just not that important. <laughs> Why would they bother? Some people say Australia has mandatory voting, which means that we don't see quite the same stark level of polarisation politically, I think, as in the United States. And we aren't really receptive to messages like, don't bother even turning up to the polling station (laughs) because you all got a fine. I mean, it would be interesting if somebody started a misinformation campaign around donkey voting, putting in a sort of tick any box kind of vote. Uh, But when it comes to domestic threat, I think we're already starting to see a little bit of this. Um, Recently in the news, there's been a lot of discussion about Facebook accounts relating to the franking credits debate. So Labor wants to... Remove some of the franking credits that benefit largely older people with self-managed super funds, and the Liberals are against that policy. And we have seen a lot of Facebook activity around that question, and some people in the party exposed as having ownership of Facebook, you know, groups and accounts that were posting a lot about this issue, but without disclosing it. So, and this is where we run up against Australian electoral laws. But given that we're seeing this activity and the election hasn't even been announced yet, um, I think we're likely to see a lot more.
0: And I'm sure everyone will be keeping an eye out for it. But finally, has this changed the way that you look at Instagram? I mean, you're already you're a technology reporter, so already there's a bit of bleed over in between the two. But has it made you more critical about what's coming up in your feed?
2: Yeah, I, I wish I could say it has. Um, I don't know. I, I do try to be more critical, of course, and check out who's being recommended to me, too, on Instagram. But at the same time, that action, just the basic action of Instagram, the quick scroll, you know, just stick your thumb up and more pictures come. It's really hard to slow down and take a critical approach to a platform that is set up like that. It's basic architecture, encourages quick looks, uh, you know, a lack of thought even, and just pure sort of visual information intake and. No reading and just those visual signals, whether it be a fashion blog, you're just looking for visual signals or a political meme. So I I do wonder, like I don't really understand how Instagram could create more friction in the platform to encourage more critical thinking. It's just really not built that way.
0: And they probably wouldn't want to uh, either. Um, (laughs) Hey, well, there's obviously so many more questions um, still that we're asking and and a lot more to find out, but it's probably not uncontroversial to say that there'll be plenty more on this in the future. Ariel Bogle, you're the technology reporter at ABC. What's your your Twitter handle?
2: It's just at Ariel Bogle, A-R-I-E-L-B-O-G-L-E, at Twitter.
0: And you can follow her there if you want to see more of her stuff. All right, thanks, Ariel. Thank you. This segment is called Meme Obituary, where we celebrate the life and now passing of a meme that has been um, done to death. Um, There's a natural life cycle of most memes. They start off, they spread, we see all these different uses of them, and then eventually some normies end up using them and just kind of killing it. This week I want to remember the contributions of the 10-year challenge, for those of you who didn't see them. It was a meme format where people would share two pictures of them, one 10 years ago and one today. There were some great ones. A standout of them was um, convicted drug smuggler Chappelle Corby. Um, She shared one of herself 10 years ago behind bars in a Bali prison, contrasted with herself a lot more relaxed today. Um, The one that really killed it for me was the Liberal Party. They shared one, which on the left panel was a picture of Wayne Swan, and it said 2009-2010, a $54 billion deficit. And then on the right, uh, they have a picture of Josh Frydenberg's face with 2019-2020 returning to surplus. Uh, Rest in peace, a 10-year challenge. We barely knew ye. And to finish us off, now to the back page to cover all the stories that didn't fit anywhere else. A teen girl has been allegedly kidnapped and tasered by another teen because she called her a dog on Instagram. A Victorian court heard that one girl lured the other girl into a car which had a bloke inside it who also had a taser. Uh, She forced her to drive around for 20 minutes before slapping, spitting and then tasering her. Shit posters, beware, it's dangerous out there. Both Instagram and Google have had outages in Australia in the last few weeks, but the outages were nowhere as long as the ones that hit Tonga, where the cable that connects the Pacific Island nation to the rest of the world via the internet was cut for about two weeks. The same-sex marriage survey may have been two calendar years ago, but there's no forgetting the harm it caused. A University of Sydney study found that exposure to homophobic campaigns, much of which was conducted online, was linked to higher levels of depression, stress and anxiety. Most of us suspect it as such, but it's another reminder how debating someone's basic human rights can be damaging. A bloke who calls himself the Adelaide pedo hunter has avoided jail time for harassing sex offenders online which he documented in YouTube videos of him luring men into meeting up with him by pretending to be a child there's big communities who try and track down pedophiles online and honestly they're a bit problematic there's been examples of pedophile hunters exposing the wrong people so I think most of us would say leave it to the professionals oh and finally A former Viner, now massive pop star, Shawn Mendes has apologised for favouriting a pretty gross transphobic meme posted by the Australian neo-Nazi Blair Cottrell. Shawn apologised saying he did it by accident while scrolling. And that is it for the Australian Meme Review this week. I'm Cam Wilson. I'll be back with you in the next few weeks. You know the drill. If you liked it, if you hated it, if you have brainworms, make sure to subscribe to it, like it, share it, review it. I'll see you next time for another episode of the Australian Meme Review. I've
2: been around the world a couple of times and maybe more Seen the sights,
0: I've had the lights on every foreign show. But when my mates will ask me, the place that I adore Till then, right away. What do we tell them? Give me a home among the gum trees, with lots of thum trees. A sheep, a tuck, a kangaroo, a clothesline out the back, a out
1: the front.